In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight is Psalm 73. The title of this psalm is a psalm of Asaph, which means it is written by the great singer and musician of David's era, Asaph. And also in First Chronicles, chapter 25 verse 1 and second chronicles 29 verse 30 they say that asaph was a prophet in his musical composition he was a prophet in his musical composition and in the book of psalms there are 12 psalms entitled as psalms of asaph and Asaph was one of David's three chief musicians, along with Heman and Ethan. Ethan. And apparently, uh, Ethan also is called Jethuthun. So Jethuthun is Ethan. Some believe, but it is not supported, that David wrote this psalm and gave it to Asaph to be used in public service, but most of the commentators said it is written by Asaph. The book of Psalms was divided into five books. The second book ended by Psalm 72. So the third book of the book of Psalms start with Psalm 73, with this psalm. And the third book starts with Psalm 73 and ends with Psalm 89, from 73 to 89. The motive of this psalm shows itself clearly in verse 3, which is Asaph was confused and perplexed as to why God allowed prosperous life to the wicked people, their life is trouble-free, while Asaph himself, who struggles to live a godly life, actually faces many hardships and tribulations every day. And this actually is not uncommon complaint. Many times, the godly people, as well as ungodly people, they complain why God allow the wicked to have prosperous life, but the righteous, they suffer in their life. In the beginning of the psalm, Asaph emphasized that he is not doubting God's goodness or righteousness or justice, but he want to understand the problem of evil because it was confusing to him. Because of this, when he saw the prosperity of the wicked, his faith was tested and Asaph almost fell away. But at the end, God allows Asaph to regain a proper perspective when, when he is able to see life from the perspective of eternity. The problem of Asaph, he judged life from earthly perspective only. But when he start to look at life from 
eternal perspective, his confidence and his contentment in God is restored. It's like the story of the rich man and Lazarus. If you look at it from just earthly perspective, it's a miserable story. But when you look at it from eternal perspective, now you can see justice of God and the righteousness of God. Actually, two Psalms, in addition to Psalm 73, have dealt with this question at some length. Psalm 37, 49, and then 73. And you can remember them easily. 37 and 73 are switched and add to them 49. Also, I want you to notice when Asaph is troubled by the fate of the ungodly, the main pronoun is they, who is speaking about them. When he described his own frustration and his own thinking, actually, the main pronoun is I. When he found the resolution of the problem from verse 18 to 22, the main pronoun is you, God, because it is the revelation of God. Then when he proclaims the assurance of his faith and fellowship with God, the main pronouns are mixture between you and I. So when he spoke about the prosperity of the ungodly from verse 1 to 12, he used they. When he spoke about his frustration and how he is thinking and looking for a resolution from verse 13 to 17, he used the pronoun I. When God revealed to him the resolution from 18 to 22, he used you, addressing God. Then, when he proclaimed the assurance of his faith and the fellowship with God from 23 to 28, he used mixture between you, God, and I. This psalm is 28 verses. From verse 1 to 12, he spoke about prosperity of the wicked. 13 to 16, he spoke about the pain Asaph suffered in consequence. From 17 to 22, the turning point when he starts looking at the whole issue from eternal perspective. Then from 23 to 28, a God-oriented perspective. Tonight, actually, we'll stop at verse 16, from verse 1 to verse 16. So let's start from verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. So the psalmist begins by stating the conclusion to which he had been led through the trial of his faith. Yes, he went through a trial, but what was the conclusion that truly God is good? Only God is good. So Asaph began this psalm with a simple declaration of the goodness of God to his people. But this, he indicated that he understood not only that God was good, but God is actively showing this goodness to Israel 
and to the pure in heart. Yes, God is good for everyone, but his people will be able to see the goodness of God. Others, unfortunately, are blind to the goodness of God. So, although God may permit people to suffer, but he is wholly loving and kind toward his people. We read in Lamentation chapter 3 and verse 25, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. St. John Chrysostom says, God loves us more than a father, mother, friend, or any else could love, and even more than we are able to love ourselves. Yes, God is good to all the people in a providential way, yet to his people and to the pure in heart in a special way, as I told you, because their eyes are open to the goodness of God. St. Basil the Great says, As it is impossible to verbally describe the sweetness of honey to one who has never tasted honey, so the goodness of God cannot be clearly communicated by way of teaching if we ourselves are not able to penetrate into the goodness of the Lord by our own experience. That's why when Philip met Nathaniel, he did not teach him about the goodness of God, but he told him what? Come and see. Come and taste how sweet the Lord is. Verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slept. So while Asaph had once been confident in God, now his faith is wavering. His doubts made himself almost stumble. It made his steps nearly slip. Although the psalmist sees and understands the goodness of God to his people, yet it seemed to him that God was treating the wicked better than the godly, and this created envy in his heart. As we read in verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he realizes now that his doubt at the end of the psalm had been a sin and had almost caused him to give up his confidence and trust in the Almighty. As if he was saying, Yet I must acknowledge with grief and shame regarding myself that despite all my knowledge of this truth and my own experience and observation of God's dealing with me and other good men, but unfortunately, my feet 
were almost slept. My faith in God's promises and providence was almost defeated by the power of temptation. When he said my feet had almost stumbled, this refers to his state of mind. Asaph has been faithful to God, but yet he struggles while the wicked have no regard for God and seem to prosper. Asaph wanted God to be wrathful against the wicked. It seemed to Asaph that God was good to the boastful and the wicked. And it seemed that God unfair to Asaph. And this made him almost stumble and slip. Yes, it is a common problem and a common stumbling block for believers to be overly concerned with how God deals with others. When we are concerned how God deals with others, they can be a stumbling block for us. To envy the wicked people because they prosper is to make more account of the good things of this life than of God's favor, meaning we become envious because we are prosper here on earth. But if we know that we have God's grace and God's favor, which everlasting, which actually endures to eternal life, we would not be envious of their prosperity here on earth. So if we are concerned with how God deals with others here on earth, this means we prefer physical good to moral good. We want just the earthly prosperity more than the heavenly prosperity. St. Augustine says, I observed sinners. I saw them to have peace. But what peace? It's temporal, transient, falling, and earthly. Look at the story of the rich man and Lazarus. All his prosperity ended by his death, and then he was tortured in the lake of fire. Yes, Lazarus suffered on earth, but he enjoyed eternal glory and eternal rest. So, as Asaph looks at the lives of the wicked, his conclusion is that they live as they please and seem to have whatever they want. He looks and it seems like they have no struggles and their bodies are healthy and strong. They are not afflicted with severe and painful diseases. Nothing that binds and distresses them or afflicts and troubles them. As we read from verse 4, For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. So, here Asaph developed his argument ever more when he said they are not in trouble as other men. So he is saying, not only are the wicked rewarded equally to the righteous, but they seem 
to be more blessed than the pure in heart. And if they are equally treated like the righteous, this may make us think it is unfair. But if they are more blessed or more prosperous than the righteous, this is actually more confusing. Their lives seem to have less trouble and are not as plagued as the average man. They escape even common hardship. Their lives are trouble-free, although they are worse than other men, the wicked are worse than other men, yet they seem better off. And according to St. Augustine, we should not envy the wicked. As the devil himself right now is not afflicted by hardship, although Hades will wait for him as an everlasting punishment. And if you think about the devil right now, devil is free. He is not suffering any hardship, but the hell is waiting for him as an everlasting punishment. The same problem actually troubled Prophet Jeremiah, as we read in Jeremiah in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. According to Asaph, God, because God did not punish the wicked as he should, they simply became more wicked and even wore their pride as a prominent necklace. As we read in verse 6, therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. So, as if pride surrounds them as with neck chain or a collar for the neck. So, they became more violent, greedy, and more likely to blaspheme. They wear the pride as an ornament. It is apparent in their rigid behavior and attitude. They seem to imagine that they are better than others and that they are treated in this manner because they are better than others. That's why God made them prosper on earth. Wicked men that are prosperous and proud are generally oppressive to others. So if a person is ungodly, doesn't have the fear of God, and prosperous and proud, these three things equal oppression. They will be oppressive to others. Pride naturally leads on to violence which becomes so customary to them that it seems like their ordinary apparel. That's why the wicked man is covered with an impressive garment, but that covering is violence toward the other. Yes, he is prideful, boastful, but he is violent toward the others. The psalmist continues 
to describe their apparent prosperity and ease of life. Starting from verse 7. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. So, they get everything they desire. Their face is the indication. It changes because of obesity. Their eyes seem to stand out from their fat and puffy faces. They live in great abundance and prosperity. Their iniquity comes forth from the heart. The imagination of their hearts overflow and the eyes give the outward manifestation of what the heart wishes. The eye and heart are used in Jeremiah 22 verse 17 as we read, Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. So, their eyes see the poor people and the heart is violent. That's why the eye and the heart together look for covetousness, shedding innocent blood, practicing oppression and violence. So the meaning is that their thoughts, their plans, their purposes and their wishes are all at ease. They get what they want. Their purposes are accomplished and they have all that they wish. Actually, more than what they wish. They have more, verse 7, they have more than heart could wish. Whatever comes into their mind as a desire is obtained without difficulty or trouble. Then in verse 8, he said, They scoff and speak wickedly Concerning oppression, they speak loftily. So, they speak with arrogance. They speak in a proud manner, as if they were above others. They scoff at the righteous and speak wickedly about them. They talk of oppressive act which they meditate as though they were gods, as he said here. They speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They speak loftily, arrogantly, believing in their own strength and despising both God and men. St. Augustine says, not only they have spoken iniquity, but even openly, in the hearing of all, proudly, I will do it. I will show you. Within the chambers of thought, at least, the evil desire might have been confined. He might have at least restrained it within his thought. But with these wicked people, they don't restrain it or confine it within their thoughts, but they speak openly about, proudly about, in the hearing of all. Not only that, but in verse 9, they set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. So against the heaven means against God in heaven, 
against his being, saying there is no God, against his providence, either denying it or affirming to be inadequate. They make a sinful claim of divine authority and command to men as though the earth belonged to them, to the wicked people. And their tongue walks through the earth, meaning the uncontrolled liberty which wicked men take with their tongues. There is no restraint upon them. It has no limit. They can curse people, they can oppress people with their tongue. They seem to set themselves above all law. They are not under any law. To act as if there were no one in heaven or on earth to control them. Their tongue walks through the earth. St. Augustine says, What is it to pass over all earthly things? What does it mean that their tongue over earth? He does not think of himself as a man that can die suddenly when he is speaking. The wicked does menace as if he were always to live. His thought does transcend earthly frailty. He knows not with what sort of vessel he is enwrapped. He doesn't know that one day he will die. He knows not what has been written in another place concerning such men in the book of Psalms. His spirit shall go forth, and he shall return unto his earth. In that day shall perish all his thoughts. But these men, not thinking of their last day, they speak pride unto heaven. They set their mouths, they transcend the earth. So St. Augustine said, why their tongue walks through the earth? Because they don't think that they will die. They think that they will live eternally. That's why there is no restraint upon their tongue. So the psalmist's temptation is intensified as he contemplates the popularity of the wicked. Many people are carried away by the wicked evil example. As we read in verse 10, Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Actually, this verse, one of the difficult verses to find clear understanding by the scholars and commentators. What does it mean that his people return here. Whose people is speaking here? Some think it intends those people who choose the company of the wicked because they find their temporal advantage by it. So, therefore, his people, people, when they saw the prosperity of the wicked, they returned to the wicked and accompanied them to enjoy the prosperity with them. Others are of opinion that his people re referring to people of God who by continually seeking the prosperity of wicked are grieved like a self. So his people can be the people of God who return here and then they see the prosperity of the wicked 
and they are grieved and troubled. But the meaning seems to, to be because of the prosperity of the wicked and the afflicted state of the righteous, people of God will be under a strong temptation to return to the company of the ungodly. So people will stumble and say, what did I benefit from serving God? Let me go and accompany the wicked people so I can enjoy this prosperity. And the rest of the verse, and waters. So therefore his people, the people of God returning here, return to be with the ungodly people to enjoy prosperity. And waters of a full cup are drained by them. Meaning what? Waters in scripture frequently signify affliction, like the waves and the storm. But they also, in other area, signify mercies and comfort, the living water of the Holy Spirit. So the meaning here is that the question and the perplexity which arose in regard to the wicked people were like a bitter cup, a cup of poison or intoxicating cup. So the godly people, the people of God, when they see the prosperity of the wicked, they drink this cup, a water of full cup, they drink it and drained by them and come to the conclusion, it's better to live ungodly, to accompany the ungodly in order to enjoy the same prosperity. And they did not merely taste it, taste this cup of perplexity and questions, but they drank it, drained by them. Verse 11, and they say, the wicked say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? God's patience and forbearance with the sins of man often has opposite the intended effect. What do I mean by this? God delays punishing sin in order to give people opportunity to repent and return back to him. But instead of repenting, the wicked use God's forbearance and patience as a proof that God doesn't see their evil saying. How does God know? Or is there knowledge in the Most High? St. Paul in Romans alludes to this behavior when he said in Romans 2 verse 4, Oh, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So if God is patient with me because he wants to lead me to repentance, but if I take advantage of this forbearance and say God doesn't know, is there knowledge in the Most High? So, Asaph told us that the wicked men sits their mouth against heaven. Now he is explaining how they set their mouth against the heaven. Because they claim that God is blind or ignorant. Therefore, they can do as pleases them. And God is unable to do anything against them. Yes, they acknowledge that God is the most high. 
yet they doubt whether there is knowledge in him. They thought he did not concern himself with human affairs as being below his regard, therefore concluded that their actions of oppression and violence and their arrogant words against God and men would pass unnoticed by God. How does God know? And is their knowledge in the Most High? Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease, they increase in riches. So in his frustration, Asaph saw the ungodly life as good life. They are always at ease. They always increase in riches. They are rewarded for their wickedness by a God who seems to be as a knowing God as the wicked says that God he doesn't know. Behold, these are the ungodly who say and do as the psalmist declared before. They don't have the knowledge of God. These are the ungodly. They don't have the knowledge of God. They don't know his love or his worship. They prosper in worldly and temporal things, in their bodies and outward states, but not in their souls and spiritual things. Now from verse 13, Asaph explains the pain that he suffered when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. So the frustration kept building up for Asaph. He felt that it was vain for him to be pure in heart. What did he benefit from? Vain for him to have clean hands before God, then for him to be innocent. If the wicked prospers thus, then his endeavors after holiness have been wasted, and there is no reward for the righteous. After examining the life of the wicked and his own life of pursuing godliness, this is a safe conclusion. Following God is in vain, and it leads to hardship and struggle. Asaph felt that his life was much more difficult than the life of the ungodly men. He said in verse 14, he now elaborating more, why he said, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and in vain I washed my hands in innocence. Because as he said in verse 14, for all day long, I have been plagued. All day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So while the wicked enjoyed all their health and ease and pride, Asaph on the contrary had to endure being plagued and chastened all day long and had to endure it all the day and every morning, all the day and every day. 
He used two words, plagued and chastened. Plagued is bad, but it might happen due to unknown or natural causes. But chastened is worse because it implies that God himself was afflicting Asaf with difficulty. God is disciplining and chastening Asaf. So, Asaf is, uh, is asking, why God is so easy on the wicked and hard on me? His grief was not only continued, but renewed every morning, every day. The affairs of mankind appear to him to be intangible. How could it be permitted by a just ruler that things should be so turned upside down and the whole course of justice unclear and confused? He did not expect this from God. St. Augustine has beautiful comment on chastening every day. He said chastening is correction. Is that being chastened is being corrected. What is in the morning? It's not deferred. So God likes to correct his children every day. But that of the ungodly is being deferred. Mine, the, the children of God, is not delayed. The former is too late or not at all because there is no hope in them. But mine is in the morning. So as if he is saying, if you are chastened every morning, then God still sees hope in you. He loves you. That's why he disciplines you. This is a sign of our sonship to the Lord. But Asaf caught himself from sliding further into despair over the perceived prosperity of the wicked. That's why in verse 15 he said, if I had said, I will speak thus, if I shared this experience with other people, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. So Asaph was careful not to share his negative thoughts about God with others, because intellectually he knows that God is good although his experience now is different. He did not want to be untrue to the generation of God's children. He realized that if he speaks out all his thoughts and let them to be generally known, then he should have heard the generation of God. He, he should have heard the feeling of the children of God. He should have put a stumbling block in their way. Unfortunately, sometimes when I have a negative experience with God, based on my wrong perception, I go and share it with others and make a stumbling block before others. Let us learn from Asaf what he said here in verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. If you have wrong perception about God, please be silent. Because if you perceive God as not a good God or unfair God, your perception is wrong. Be silent and go ask God to correct your perception. He kept it all to himself. Asaph kept all the thoughts to himself. 
and did not make known to others the thoughts of his mind and the temptation he suffered. He did not share it until he found the resolution from verse 17. So to his credit, the psalmist did not openly proclaim the frustration and doubts he had concerning God's dealing with the wicked. He did not draw others into the same stumbling path that he was walking. Therefore, the psalmist implies he said nothing. A silence well worthy of imitation. We should imitate this silence like Asaph. Deep within himself, Asaph knows that he is wrong for how he is feeling. Verse 16, which is the last verse in our Bible study tonight. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. By trying to understand his own circumstances, his suffering, in contrast to the prosperity of the righteous, still is causing him difficulty. The psalmist, rather than letting first impression rule his attitude, sought out the solution to his dilemma. And here he wants to understand. So, instead of letting these negative thoughts overwhelm him and rule him, he decided, no, I will seek a solution. I will seek a solution. He deeply desired to understand God's working in the world, yet found that it was too painful for him until he entered the temple of God. We don't naturally have all the answers. God's working in this world will at times puzzle us, even will be too painful. But it is a teachable moment. In all conditions in life, there is much in nature and in providence above our comprehension. I had to stop here because I want you to understand what is the resolution to this. But I trust that you will go and read the rest of the Psalms, which start until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. So, by entering into the sanctuary of God and understood the end, now the whole perspective, when he looked at it from eternal perspective, changed. That's why in verse 22 he said, I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Uh, this actually will continue next time, but in order not to leave with all these questions about the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous, please read the rest of the Psalms. And if any verse you did not understand it, you can look for a commentary. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.